0: Section 5 of Man on the Meteor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Krista Zaleski. Man on the Meteor by Ray Cummings. Part 5. We crouched there on that upper ledge, staring down through the green water of the cave, and listened to Og as he harangued that pallid, puffy faced throng his words came up to us clear. Words which, as I have said, were not marinoid, but a corruption of them sufficiently close to the original to be intelligible to us. We listened breathless. What we heard made the past plain to us, and made our own future, the danger hanging over all the marinoids, equally plain. For a moment we forgot our own position there on the ledge, forgot even Nona, whom we had come to rescue, and who was sitting behind Og on the platform, arms bound at her sides with scorn on her beautiful face, and her eyes flashing fire at her captors. For Og, with vehement, enthusiastic words, was explaining to these, his own people, how he would soon lead them into battle against the Marinoids. Rax and its sister cities would be captured, the Marinoid men killed or reduced to slavery, and all the beautiful, peaceful Marinoid domain turned over to the rule and the enjoyment of Og and his people. It made us shudder, but we held ourselves quiet. Cain, older than Prince Atar and I, pulled us back when in our eagerness to hear Og's every word we would have pressed thoughtlessly forward and risked discovery from below. These people called themselves Magogs, two long, very harsh syllables. Down here under the water of wild things, hidden away in caves, mudholes, and subterranean tunnels, there were doubtless thousands of them, dragging out a furtive existence, menaced on every hand by monsters of the deep. To them, nature herself must have seemed an inexorable enemy, as though their very being were against her laws, her wishes, facing extinction. For centuries, they had apathetically struggled on, and then, as though to blot them out entirely, nature had turned on them still further. Of recent years, the pallid, dull-eyed Magog women had borne but one female to three males. The Magog women were dying out soon the race would become extinct. With this dearth of women of their kind, Magog men of the more prepossessing appearance, a generation before, had smuggled themselves into the Marinoid race. Their children, half-breeds, were living there now, with their Magog heritage unsuspected by the trusting, simple-minded Marinoids. All this and more Og explained to the throng of Magogs he had assembled before him, as he outlined his plans of what he now proposed to do. "'Quiet,' murmured Cain to Attar and me. Og's voice went on. He had left Rax and come back to the water of wild things because he loved his own people. It had been his idea that they steal the Maranoid women. The Magog race must go on, on to conquest, to victory. A cheer rolled out as he said it. But we who listened knew it was Og's own personal advancement, and not love of his people, which actuated him. And his very next words made that plain he, Og the Executioner, would lead his people to victory, and he would rule them as king, Og the Executioner. Thus he referred to himself. We did not know at that moment just what he meant, but as you shall hear, we were soon to learn in very ghastly fashion. War with the Marinoids was coming. Og had sent messengers down into all the Magog community houses with his tidings. The messengers were coming back, and from everywhere came the news, that the Magogs were willing to fight. If their present rulers would urge them on, and here Og turned to the white old men behind him, the Magog people would mass themselves at Og's command, would follow him against the Marinoids. And when victory had crowned their efforts, he, Og, would rule them in racks, the most beautiful spot in all the world, where they would all live in peace and security forever." and the beautiful Marinoid women would be their women, and the Marinoid men would be their servants and their slaves. It was a vigorous, exhilarating speech, and the crowd on the cave floor responded to it with prolonged cheering, while Og stood silent, smiling upon them triumphantly. Then abruptly he turned toward Nona, my beautiful Nona, who, with spirits still unbroken, flashed back at him her look of contempt. And again Og spoke, "'This woman,' This strangely fashioned woman he had found among the Marinoids would be his queen to rule with him when they had conquered Rax. He approached Nona, laid his hand on her shoulder. I started forward, but Kane held me back. Quiet, Nemo, wait. If they discover us, we are lost. But my Nona did not shrink away from Og. I knew that every fiber of her revolted at his touch, but she did not show it. Her gaze on his face was steady and full of that same cold contempt. "'This woman,' said Og as he smiled down at the listening throng, "'will be your queen. She is frightened now. She will soon see how great I am, how great is the honour I offer her.' He was talking for Nona's benefit, I knew. "'I respect her,' he said. "'I shall conquer the Marinoids first. "'And she, her love, her admiration, shall be my reward.' He turned away from Nona, and advancing to the very edge of the platform, held out his arms to the people. "'I, Og the Executioner, will rule you. The waters we will conquer are fair and beautiful, cool and open. Room for us all, and free of monsters. Riches for every one of you.' The cheering halted him again. The crowd was waving its thin arms. A Magog Triangle. "'Look,' whispered Atar to me. From across the cave— A niche halfway up the opposite side, a Magog woman launched herself into the water, swimming downward toward the platform and Og. She seemed not much older than Nona, a girl not unlike a marinoid girl, but dead white of flesh, and puffy, with huge staring eyes and a mouth that was a gash. She swam downward slowly and landed upon the platform close beside Og. He confronted her. She spoke to him pleadingly, but so softly that we on the ledge could not catch her words. Then she gestured toward Nona, and then she threw her arms about Og's neck. He struggled to release himself while the crowd, silent now, looked on. A moment and Og was free, standing erect. The Magog girl was lying on the platform where he had thrown her. She rose to her feet painfully, flinging at Nona a glance of unutterable hatred. Then again she appealed to Og, a gesture of love, despairing, desperate, It seemed to madden him. He stepped forward and struck her across the face with the flat of his arm. She fell backward, righted herself in the water, and swam slowly, limpingly away. A moment more and she was back in the wall niche from which she had come. Og, with a scowl, went on talking to the crowd, telling them of the coming Marinoid War. Never once did he look up to where the girl was crouched above, watching him silently. But I, my gaze, was no longer for Og. Across the cave from me, almost at the same level, and almost as far from Og and Nona as I was, the Mega girl crouched tense. There seemed something ominous in every line of her, something that filled me with a dread, a horror. Og's speech rolled on, the crowd applauded. Atar whispered something to me, something about us three going back to Rax at once, to get help to rescue Nona, and to prepare for the coming war but I did not heed him. That girl on the rock across the cave was still crouching there. The baleful gaze of her huge eyes was downward to the platform, and my heart leaped into my throat when suddenly I realized that she was staring not at Og, but at Nona. And then I saw her hand go to her grotesque green robe. It came back, her pincer held a very short, gleaming spear, like a dagger. The crowd was silent, hanging now on Og's words. Of all that throng, only I was watching that menacing figure on the ledge. Abruptly, the silence was split by a scream. The Magog girl, screaming as though at last her rage and jealousy had broken the bonds of her reason. I saw her dive, head downward, diving and swimming, with the blade extended, straight for Nona. My own reason left me. I leaped forward, thrust back Cain and Atar who would have stopped me, and plunged from the ledge plunged downward in a long swimming dive toward the platform, where my Nona sat bound and helpless. Chapter 2. Plunging head downward, it seemed as though the platform, with Og, Nona, and the white old man upon it, was sliding swiftly upward at me. To one side, level with me, the Magog girl was coming down also. We two formed the sides of a V, converging at Nona. It all happened very quickly. No more than a few seconds went by as I made that downward plunge. Yet during that time my head whirled with a thousand frightened thoughts, and one of them stood out predominant. The Magog girl in murderous frenzy would reach Nona first, and stab her to death before I could intervene. I was conscious that the crowd had fallen silent. Behind me, high overhead now, I heard a tar shouting. Soon the platform was close under me, the Magog girl too was close, unswerving, seeming not to have seen me, A spear thrown by someone in the crowd, a crude, heavy sort of spear, came up at me, but I avoided its ponderous flight. Og, in alarm, had slid away. The white old men were cowering. Nona's face was upturned to mine. I twisted sidewise, flung myself at the Magog girl. Our bodies met. The impact threw us both down upon Nona. The Magog girl screamed again, but her screams were almost lost in the shouts that now came from everywhere. I was hardly aware of intercepting the blow of that dagger. It struck my forearm, seared me like a firebrand. But then I caught the girl's wrist, twisted the weapon from her. She screamed again, screamed with baffled fury. The water around us was white with her struggles. Atar was beside me. Quick, Nemo. Nona is free. Nona, come. With his spear edge, Atar had cut Nona's bonds. The Magog girl was swimming away, still screaming. A figure came at me a Magog man with Og prudently behind him. I plunged the girl's spear into the figure's bulging chest and waved my spear at Og as the Magog sank at our feet. Overhead, Cain was poised in mid-water, shouting defiance at the frightened crowd. I turned. Nona was free. She was mounting upward toward Cain, with a tar covering her retreat. Nemo! Nemo! It was Nona's voice. Og was backing away, looking for a weapon with which to attack me and shouting at the crowd to head me off. I mounted after Atar and Nona. Higher up, Cain was now fighting a Magog who had risen to attack him. Then the Magog's body slowly sank, with Cain's spear buried in it. The retreat. In another moment we were again on the ledge from whence we had come, and my Nona was safe with us. For a brief instant I held her in my arms. But Cain was dragging us all back into the passageway. Below us the cave was in turmoil. Og had gathered around him a dozen or so who had weapons. They were coming after us. Frightened groups surrounded the bodies of the two we had killed. One of the white old men had recovered himself and was bawling orders. And over it all, the Magog girl was laughing and screaming with hysterical triumph because Nona had escaped Og and was gone. Nemo, come! Ahead of us lay the dark passageway with its barrier of coral. Beyond that, another length of passageway upward to the open water of wild things. We swam hurriedly forward, but my arm was still around my Nona. Soon we were in the coral barrier. Behind us, down the passageway, we could hear Og and the others shouting as they followed us. We threaded our way through the coral, slowly, laboriously, as one would force a way through thick frozen underbrush of your winter forests on earth. But it was a shallow barrier, two hundred feet through, no more. Again we were in the open passageway, and Og and his party were approaching the barrier from the other side. We hastened onward and upward. It was a short distance only, and we were at the mouth of the tunnel. The open water of wild things loomed before us. Somewhere up there, through that inky void, was the entrance which would lead us into marinoid waters. A tar gripped me. As with Nona beside me, I would have launched myself out of the tunnel mouth, and I heard Kane's low exclamation of dismay. A light had leaped out of the blackness, a single huge light of green, and then behind it a myriad others. Like tiny green stars they dotted the void. We had no time for conjecture. The darkness out there took shape, a sinuous serpentine shape. The thing was coming towards us. Its huge head seemed to radiate green fire. The body and tail behind the head were black, but like barnacles, a thousand luminous parasites clung to it and glowed. We drew back, but not before the serpent had become aware of us. It turned over with a long, gliding undulation and came at the mouth of the passageway. But it came hastelessly, lazily, as though in its own good time to pick up this food that was offered. I caught a glimpse of open jaws, fangs half the length of my body, and its breath, a fetid stench, seemed to precede it. Trembling, we flung ourselves back down the dim tunnel, Ahead through the coral the vague, reflected radiance from the cave was visible. In the coral we could hear Og and his followers, calling to one another as they threaded their way through. There was no choice. The narrow walls of the passageway hemmed us in. Behind us the serpent was gliding quietly forward. We swam back to the coral. A Magog forced his way out, and instantly I drove my spear into him. He crumpled with a gasp and sank in a heap with the spear impaling him from back to chest. Nemo! Another opening. I turned, and Nona pushed me to one side. A small, black opening was there, an opening at right angles to the main tunnel. It was barely three feet wide and twice as high. Kane and Atar were already in it. Nona glided in, pulling me after her. We swam back a dozen feet and paused. The green head of the serpent was out there in the tunnel we had left. It loomed there a vivid spot of light at the entrance to this narrow slit which sheltered us a head too large to enter. It stayed there a moment, and then, as though yielding to the inevitable, it quietly withdrew. But how far, we did not know. We were terrified and confused. Nona was trembling violently. "'We must go on,' said Atar, "'not back there, to that... thing.'" Ahead of us, this narrow slit-like tunnel seemed to broaden. It was almost black, but not quite, for the mud itself was faintly radiant We pressed forward around a turn to the left, then another to the right. The water in this confined space was foul. It hurt our breathing. We hastened to get out to the open water as soon as possible. We hoped we would strike at some distance from the mouth of the other passageway, enough to be away from the monster. How far we went I do not know. Occasionally the tunnel branched, but we always took the larger. We turned several times, ascending, then descending again. At last a glow showed ahead— the open water, but with a monster on guard there. Our hearts sank. Abruptly around a sharp curve, the glow brightened. We slid forward, came to the end of the tunnel. From a tiny shelf-like ledge, we stared down into the self-same cave we had left so precipitously half an hour before. Still up near its ceiling, but now on its opposite side. Chapter 3 How can I make clear the dismay, the confusion that swept over us at this unexpected outcome to our supposedly successful escape? What could we do? Retrace our way back through the winding tunnel? There were many diverging passageways. We would lose ourselves hopelessly in this honeycombed mud bank. And before us was the cave into which we could not venture without the practical certainty of capture. Too bewildered to do otherwise, we crouched and stared down into the cave. It was less crowded now but there were still a hundred or more Magogs on its floor, and dispersed about its wall niches. Across from us, almost at the same level, was that other ledge on which we had formerly perched. Behind it, its tunnel showed as a small circle of blackness. Perhaps we could swim across the cave unnoticed, get into that other now familiar passageway, then through the coral barrier and into the open water, to safety, unless the monster were still there. Atara roused me from these thoughts. He was pointing downward into the cave. Nemo! Cain! What is he doing there? On the platform, Og and three of the white old men were gathered. Around them a small school of fishes was swimming. Ten or twenty fishes, short squat things, two or three feet long, smooth, dull black skins with huge distended mouths. For all their size there was about them an aspect of extraordinary strength, their powerful squat build, the alertness of their movements. My heart almost stopped with the sudden realization that these fishes, or were they fishes, were not swimming aimlessly, but were waiting for Og's command. Like a pack of trained animals, they circled about their master. Then Og called to them. They answered with full-throated, yelping cries. Fishes with voices, you exclaim. You need not be amazed. There are shouting fishes even in your own waters of earth." Og was bending over the shell where Nona had been bound. The rushes that had bound her and which Atar had cut were still lying there. At Og's call these swimming creatures gathered around him eagerly. The sound of their voices, yelping, whining, was blood-curdling. Og was raising up the severed bonds, holding them out, and the fishes were smelling of them. Then in a pack they gathered, and Og, leading them, swam with them across the cave up near its ceiling, to that other ledge, from whence, with Nona, we had made our escape. The black fishes entered the other passageway, with Og and a half-dozen other Magogs after them. As they swept down into it, their gruesome cries died away into the distance. You, with your knowledge of similar things, will doubtless think it stupid of us to be puzzled at the meaning of all this, at its danger to us. Yet we had no way of knowing— We stared at each other, relieved that these ugly black things which uncannily answered Og's commands had disappeared. Nemo, you are hurt. It was Nona, who now had noticed that my arm was bleeding, where the Magog girl's dagger had ripped it. Nothing, I said, and I wiped it against my robe. We tried to plan what we should do. Could we cross the cave? The Magog girl was still down there near the platform, with eyes alert to everything around her eyes that still smoldered with hate and jealous rage. No, to enter the cave would be to court almost certain discovery. We would have to retrace our way, find some other tunnel to lead us out into the open water. We were starting back, had gone perhaps a hundred yards, when far ahead of us down the narrow passageway we heard sounds. Yelps, cries, whines. Not human, the cries of those squat fishes with their huge slimy jaws. Panic seized us. We darted back toward the cave, then forward again, trying to find a side tunnel, but along here there was none. The yelps grew louder, Og's voice mingled with them, and then, before we could decide in which direction to go, like a pack of eager hounds following a trail and come at last upon their quarry, the black fishes swept down upon us. I tried to fight them off, tried to protect Nona, but they darted about me, over me, under me, and gripped me from every side. Teeth like needles ripping, tearing at my flesh. Og's voice shouting a command. Cain screaming a warning at me. Then something heavy struck my head. Silence and blackness descended upon me. Chapter 4. I recovered consciousness to find myself lying in a bed of mud in a dim, cave-like room. My first sensation was one of heat. The water I was breathing was hot, stifling. My head throbbed. Nona, Cain, and Attar were gathered over me, waiting anxiously for me to recover my senses. Nona, hearing my weak voice, seeing my eyes open, threw herself down beside me. I was not greatly injured. Og had struck me on the head with the flat of his spear. It had cut my scalp and raised an ugly lump. Besides that, the flesh of my legs, arms, and shoulders was torn by those fish's teeth as if by needles. The plight of Cain, Attar, and even my dear Nona was similar but with none of us was it serious. They told me now that we were captives. Back there in the tunnel, Og had called off his attacking fishes. Called them from us, or we would have been torn to ribbons. Then, floating me with them, the Magogs under Og's direction had brought us here to this small room adjacent to the main cave, and left us. I sat up, then swam a little. I was all right. Nona was all right. We were all safe and sound. My hopes revived. Why should we not now escape? "'but none of my companions reflected my jubilant mood. "'Let him look around,' said Kane to Atar. "'Never had I heard Kane speak so sourly, so despondently. "'I did look around. "'We were in a black mud room some forty feet square and half as high. "'It was bare of furnishings and lighted overhead "'by a crude sort of illuminated bladder "'that gave off a dull green glow. "'On the one side against the black wall "'were beds hollowed out of the mud. "'To you they would have looked like shallow graves.' and in one of them I had been lying. Across the room was a shelf of mud with a dozen clay seats on it, like a row of huge toadstools. No escape. A third side gave into a tunnel. I approached it eagerly, then drew back shuddering. That pack of bloodhound fishes was out there, circling back and forth on guard. They saw me and darted lazily forward, As I stopped, they seemed satisfied, and went back to their endless circling, following every twist and turn of two or three who seemed to lead them. Kane laughed cynically. Not there, Nemo, you see. My arms went protectingly about Nona, and she drew me wordlessly to the fourth side of the room. The wall here was gone. A grating of woven seaweed like prison bars took its place. I stood on a precipice, gazing through the black bars into the black void of water can I make you understand the shuddering fear that possessed me? This water out there was moving swiftly downward, like a torrent or a subterranean waterfall. Its current, drawing the water out of the room, flattened me involuntarily against the bars. I had never seen swiftly moving water before. I felt as you would feel gazing from a great height into a dizzying abyss, and this water I could see was boiling hot down there. "'but for those bars I should have been whirled down into it, "'and from far below I could hear a faint sizzling "'as of water dropped on a bed of embers. "'I forced myself away from the grating "'back into the centre of the room, "'and now he was aware that all the water in the room "'was coming from the tunnel "'and passing in a current through those bars. "'You see,' said Attar, trying to speak calmly, "'you see now.' "'But Og abruptly entered from the tunnel. "'He hovered before us, leering.' Nona shrank against me, and I folded her in my arms. Og did not glance at Nona. He said to Kane, Have you decided? No, Kane answered. He is but this moment recovered. We Tell him now, I will wait. Og turned away, swam over to the grating, and gazed through it to that boiling, tumbling water. Then Kane told me. Og offered us freedom, us three men. He would send us back to Rax. The price of it was Nona's promise to be his queen, a willing, smiling queen. None other would the Magogs have. I could feel Nona shudder against me, but she said no word. No, I shouted, no, no. Og heard me and smiled. There is another way. Tell him, Kane. And if we did not agree, if Nona did not give her promise, Og, the executioner, would open the grating and let us three men slip out down into that boiling water, our helpless bodies would be sucked. As Cain said it, my Nona burst out, and Nona too, that is best. But even that, Og heard. No, he smiled, not Nona. She will stay here with me. Too rule as queen when I have coaxed the smiles back to her pretty face. I was suddenly aware of another figure in the room. That Magog girl had slipped in from the tunnel. She heard Og's words. Her face smoldered with fury, but it was Nona, not Og, at whom she gazed so balefully. And I knew then that if ever Nona were left with Og, if we men were killed, this woman would kill Nona if she could. Og faced the girl. "'Well, Marette, why do you come here?' He addressed her gruffly. "'Did I not tell you to stay away?' She gestured behind her. "'The time is on us. They are ready. Coming now. And, Og, I knew that you had forgotten.' Og grinned. Yes, girl, you speak well. I had forgotten. It was doubtless very amusing. He was chuckling as he whirled on us who were hovering in a huddled group. A fortunate occurrence, my friends from Rax. You shall swim aside now and watch me as I perform this little duty of mine. You shall see how cleverly, how gracefully I do it. He was still grinning. His voice was ironical, mocking, but his eyes were gleaming at Nona. It will help you decide, my queen. Help you to choose the fate of your Nemo, your little toy, Prince Atar, and your cane, the shell-gatherer. There were sounds in the tunnel now, a low, wailing, monotonous like a chant. A dirge. Og waved us imperiously away. Marette, the Magog girl, led us to the side of the room near the grating. We followed her, but I kept myself between her and Nona. And there, flattened against the mud wall, we watched and listened. An execution. The wailing swelled in volume, then ceased abruptly. From the tunnel a line of figures came swimming. Magog women, eight of them, each held a child, an infant hugged to the mother breast, two or three older little boys dangling in the water, held by mother's hand, and one, a boy almost half-grown, swimming close by his mother's side. The children were all naked, puffed, dead white little things with goggling eyes and gaping mouths. One or two were crying. The line slowly passed me, swung about, and went to the platform. On that row of toadstool seats the mothers took their places. They sat there drooping, hugging their children. The older boy huddled against his mother's knees. His face, turned my way, showed great staring eyes, dark with a terror but half understood. He was whimpering a little, but his mother silenced him with a low-spoken word. Og, swimming slowly, went the length of the line, counting the women, searching their faces and the faces of the children. Evidently he was satisfied that all who should be were there. You are ready, he said. My gaze, following his, swept the line. A woman sobbed, another clutched her infant hungrily, but they all nodded assent. You first, said Og abruptly. He darted an arm at one of the women. A tremor shook her, a shudder, but obediently she held out her infant to Og. He took it, swam with it to the grating, and opened a little gateway that was there. As he held the infant poised, his glance turned to me, his eyes were grinning sardonically. Attar was cursing softly. I started forward, but Kane held me back. No use, Nemo Og's arms went up. he slid the infant through the little gateway. I heard its mother scream, but my eyes fascinated, were on the black tumbling void of water. The baby's body caught by the current, floated out and downward slowly at first, then more swiftly, gradually it turned over an infant face, big eyes full of staring surprise, a puny wail of protest as the water grew hotter. Down it went, whirling now, a tiny white blob, white, then pink, then turning red. I sank back sick and faint, and Nona, who had not looked, whispered tremblingly to me the meaning of it all. There were too many male children being born to Magogs, too many useless mouths to feed, After each tenth time of sleep, male children were drawn by lot in the different community houses, and sent up here to this death chamber for execution. Og the Executioner! How efficiently, with a smile on his lips, he performed his grisly duty! You read of this with a shudder, perhaps? You marvel that in even so remote a hole of the universe as this water of wild things, in the bowels of my little meteor, such ghastly, inhuman things should take place? You forget. Can you not recall that on your own fair earth, not so very long ago, they cast infant girl babies into the sacrificial waters of the Ganges, to the hungry, eager jaws of the crocodiles? I did not look again. Occasionally there was a sob, a scream, once a brief despairing scuffle as some mother found the ordeal beyond her strength. The little half-grown boy, as he passed me with Og's hand in his, gazed at me with a dumb, terrified appeal. I hated myself as I looked away. Then it was all over. The little gateway was replaced. The mother's, empty-armed, swam silently out into the tunnel, through the parted ranks of those alert guarding fishes. Marette, the girl, had disappeared. Og was again alone with us. His lips were leering triumphantly. "'You see how well I do my work? Quickly, without confusion!' The leer abruptly faded into grim menace, his eyes blazed at us. "'You may take your choice. The hot water there—' his gesture was to the grating, or the cool, sweet water of racks, but in either case Nona shall be my queen. He turned away. At the tunnel entrance he paused. Soon I shall come back for your answer. He was gone. End of Section 5